it if it kicks me off again, then um, then Wednesday I'll readdress um, this issue. Um, so Paul's going to address the the right relationship between parents and children in Ephesians chapter six, and then he's going to address the issue of slaves and masters and that relationship. There, uh, just uh, right up front, I'm going to let you know that when Paul talks about slaves and masters. He is not talking in any sense, in any way, shape, or form about what we have uh, known as American antebellum slavery. And so the type of slavery that took place in America and in Europe um, is just unbiblical in every way, in every shape, in every fashion. So Paul's not saying, hey, slaves in antebellum slavery, this is how you should react to your masters. Uh, he's not saying, Masters, this is how you treat your slaves in response to uh, American antebellum slavery. Um, so he's talking about slavery that took place uh, biblically uh, back in um, at the first and second centuries, uh, back to the time of Jesus. And so a lot different than what we've ever known or heard about slavery. And so I, I want to address some of those issues when it um, gets to be time for that. And I just want to look at those two things tonight, just the first nine verses. Um, I told you that we just got to the house, and so uh, um, the um, I'm in the upstairs of the house, and the, the air hasn't really kicked on and started working yet. So if you see me wipe a little sweat off my brow, so to speak, um, it's just because the temperature is not uh, cooled down enough, and so um, I feel well, I feel good, um, and hopefully. this uh, call of the Apostle Paul of how we're to relate as parents to children and as children to our parents. And so the Apostle Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. I would just stop for a moment and, and I want to make this suggestion to you. As Christians, we're always to do what's right. Uh, we're not called as Christians to do what's easy. We're not called by Christians to do what's acceptable by the culture we live in. What we are called to is to live in truth and to do what's right and to do what's right even when it's not the easy thing to do. And so uh, so children, obey your parents because it, this is the right thing to do. This is what God's called us to do. So uh, Christian children, children who are believers, are to honor their father and their mother. Now the Apostle Paul goes a little further and says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And you'll, under, you'll remember that in the Ten Commandments, this, this commandment to honor your father and mother does come with a promise. And in verse 3 of chapter 6, Paul reminds us of what that is, so that um, it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. And so here, here's this promise that if you really want to live the best life you can live on this side of eternity, if you want things to go well with you, then, then one of the things you need to do, one of the principles you need to live by, is to honor your father and your mother. And so, uh, so children, honor your father and mother because this is right. Again, I want to I emphasize a few things. You don't honor your father and mother because you agree with them. In fact, you may disagree with, with your parents. You may want to go do something or go somewhere or um, take part in an event, but your parents say no, and, and you really want to do it. And so Scripture doesn't say you do what you honor your father and mother, you obey them because you agree with them. Scripture says for children to obey their father and mother, to honor their father and their mother, because it's the right thing to do. This is what God has designed us to do. And so 
parents then, what's our responsibility? If the responsibility of the child is to obey his mom and dad, to obey his parents or those who are raising him, because this is what's right, then what are our responsibilities as parents? Uh, Verse 4, Paul talks about this. He says, fathers, uh, I would submit to you that this is true of mothers as well, but fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. So when we're disciplining our children, when we are teaching and, and, and instructing our children, we have to do it in such a way not to cause strife or anger or bitterness um, in, uh, in the life of our children toward us as, as their parents. He continues, says, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And so here's the responsibility that is placed on parents. Parents, you are to raise your children in such a way that you are training them and instructing them in the Word of God, in the way of God, in the will of God. You are teaching them what God has taught you. You are, you are sharing that with your children. You are discipling your children. This is our responsibility, but we are to do it in such a way. Remember that in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul at the beginning, just talking about general relationships with other Christians, tells us this, that we are to, um, in humility, uh, long-suffering, to be gentle with one another, to be peacemaking, to be long-suffering, to bear with one another. And this is definitely true in every relationship, especially the relationship of uh, children to their parents and parents to their children, we are to be long-suffering and patient and humble and uh, long-suffering and to bear with one another. And so there are going to be times throughout our our children's life and as parents um, when our kids are going to want to do things that we just can't say yes to. And in those times, we need to be reminded that we have been called to be parents, uh, not our children's best friends. There's nothing wrong with being friendly with your children, being friends with your kids enjoying doing things with your kids. But your primary responsibility is to train and instruct, to be a a parent to your kids. And so your children need mom and dad more than just somebody they enjoy hanging out with. And so as parents, we bear the responsibility and the burden to discipline and to instruct our children. But when we discipline and we instruct our children, it must be done in such a fashion that it brings glory to God and that it brings hope to our kids. And so as a parent, I've got to instruct my kids in such a way that they know that I'm instructing them and disciplining them out of love. Remember that we're taught that God disciplines those he loves. As parents, we discipline our children because we love our children. We want the best for our children. We want to see our children uh, grow. Um, We want to see them um, get along with with, with other people. We want to see them become um, good citizens. We want to see them accomplish goals in their life. Uh, but ultimately, we have been called to train our children in the admonition and the fear of the Lord. We are to train our kids what it means to follow Christ and, uh, and to disciple our kids. And so in order to disciple our kids, sometimes we just can't allow our kids to do certain things they want. Sometimes we have to say no to our kids taking part in some certain events. Of course, we have certain rules about which movies our kids can and cannot watch. And because we have such a wide range of ages, Sarah, who was 16, going on 
um, on 17, and uh, Isaac, uh, who's four, right? We have to um, have different rules for them, in essence. So there's something Sarah can watch and some things Sarah can do that Isaac can't do yet at his age. And we have children all over the entire uh, spectrum of ages between 16 and 4. Um, but whatever it is that, that we as parents have drawn the line and we believe this is what's right and what's good and is honoring to God, then we as parents, we've been taught to instruct them uh, in love. And so not to stir up strife, uh, as the scripture says, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so this is a difficult balance sometimes. I know that a lot of times I'm guilty of the demeanor I have or the tone that I have when I'm instructing my kids. And it's really easy for me to use the wrong tone with, uh, with some of my children and to discourage them. And the last thing I want to do is discourage my children. The last thing you want to do is discourage your children. But we've been called to raise them and instruct them. And so make sure that um, as you're doing that, that you are demonstrating to them um, what a father who loves them, what it looks like to see a father loving his children, even as he disciplines his children. Moms, the same goes for you as you love and, and honor your children and raise your children. Um, let them see your love. And then as you discipline them, as you train them, as you instruct them, uh, at least our kids will know uh, even when they disagree with our decisions, that we've made those decisions because we love them. And so uh, I want to encourage you, right? Uh, uh, there are seasons of parenting that are very easy where it seems everything is going well, and then there are seasons in parenting where uh, it's a struggle. Uh, uh, there's not always easy answers, uh, easy yeses and nos. Um, that, that there's things we have to simply pray and and ask God to give us an answer of whether our kids can or cannot take part in certain things, what is best for our children, um, what can we do that will bring the most glory and honor to our God in the way we raise our children. Uh, but practically speaking, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is simply this. Uh, children, God has called you and commanded you to obey the the father and the mother that he's placed in your life. And so there are no accidents. Like God has blessed us with our children, and God has placed our children with us as their parents. And now what we've been called to do is to do our part, and that is what God's instructed us to do, to raise and discipline our children um, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's called our children to do is to obey us so that things may go well with them in their life. And so uh, we just have to be careful not to uh, be so passive in our parenting. Um, uh, and, but at the same time, we have to be careful not to be proud uh, in the way that we parent in the sense that um, we become... Um, not parenting out of anger, but what our kids sense is anger um, in the way we, we talk to them and discipline them, when what they should sense is even when we discipline our children, they should sense that it's being done out of love for them. And so, uh, so this is what Paul's challenged us to do in the first four verses here. 
it's interesting that Paul kind of goes uh, according to creative order. That is the order God created uh, human relationships. So um, God created first the husband and wife. And so Paul addresses there uh, at the end of chapter 5 how husbands and wives are to live in relationship with one another. And then in chapter 6, he goes directly into all right, children and parents, which is the second relationship which God established um, in creating mankind through Adam and Eve, and then their children to be fruitful, multiply, to fill the earth. And so we see God's creative order at work, uh, which I think is really neat to see how Paul lays out his, um, his argument or his defense or his instruction about how Christians are to live in relationship first as husband and wife, then as children and parents. Now we move to the next section, and, and this is where I just want to make sure you understand. I, I need to take a moment because I can just remember that this was never really explained to me uh, so when, when I thought of um, slaves and masters, uh, e- even in Paul's uh, section here in Ephesians, the only view I had of slavery or the only, um, I guess, uh, information I've been given about slavery was, was kind of um, American antebellum slavery, what slavery was like in America and in Europe. Um, and it wasn't later till I read some work. And I had a, a professor, Dr. Uh, Ken Cleaver, and Dr. Cleaver did his dissertation on slavery and the Bible. Um, A great, great work, and I encourage you, uh, if you're interested in the topic of um, slavery in Scripture um, and how it is completely different than the slavery that took place in America, I would encourage you, that's a great resource. But let me just give you a couple uh, biblical passages, some scriptures to show you how American antebellum slavery is completely unbiblical. It um, goes without saying that it's wrong and unethical. But I want to show you how it's unscriptural. Um, So the first thing is this. uh, Scripture in Exodus 21 uh, talks a little bit about slavery. And it lays out two guidelines, at least, that I think go directly to antebellum American slavery. Uh, The first is this. Uh, that when it came to slavery, human beings could not be kidnapped and taken against their will. And this is in Exodus uh, 21, verse 16. Um, So we know that American antebellum slavery and the slavery in Europe during the same time period, uh, people were kidnapped, were taken by force from their homes, taken across the oceans to a place where they were then sold. That's the second thing. In Exodus 21, 26, and 27, it teaches us that slaves were not to be abused and that slaves were not to be sold. So in in Exodus 21, slavery cannot be done uh, by kidnapping others. It cannot be done by selling another person as property, and it cannot be carried out in any way where abuse takes place in the relationship. Well, those three things are very evident in American antebellum slavery and slavery in Europe during the same time. Scripturally, biblically, when we hear of slavery, it's nothing like uh, the slavery that we have learned about in our history classes and and even um, just the horrors of slavery in America. And so when Paul's talking to slaves, we need to make sure we understand he's not talking to people that are in the same circumstance 
um, that we see people were in in American slavery. Uh, another we find in Deuteronomy 23, uh, verses 15 and 16, um, that if a slave ran away or escaped from um, wherever he was a slave, uh, then he did not, he could not be returned back to, um, to the position he was in as a slave. And so if a slave ran away, he was not treated as property to be taken back to someone else who owned him. And so scripture uh, is pretty clear throughout that men, all men, uh, all of mankind, men and women, are created in the image of God. And so those who bear the image of God are property to God. They are not property to other men. And so biblical slavery is different. And so when we think about that, we have to come to this uh, conclusion that as we look at what Scripture talks about in slaves and masters and the relationship that they have, um, the closest thing we're really talking about in today's society uh, would be this is instruction for how an employee uh, would act to an employer and the reverse, how an employer should treat their employees. Uh, I'm not trying to downplay slavery in Scripture. Uh, what I want you to know is that you need to study uh, and see what it meant to be a slave or a master in Scripture in biblical times, and what you will find it is nothing like, uh, again, the American antebellum slavery that, it, that most of us is. It's all we've known of slavery. And when someone mentions slavery to me, that's exactly what I, I hearken back to and think of when scripture is pretty clear, that type of slavery is completely unbiblical. I'm not, I'm not pushing for any form of slavery. I'm just submitting to you that when we see the instruction that Paul is giving of slaves to their masters, that that most closely equates to employees and employers today. Uh, so for instance, slaves in, in scriptural time could enter into slavery of their own accord they may um, enter into like indentured servanthood um, uh, for property of land or to, um, to live on land and to have food for their family for a specified period of time. That's nothing like the slavery that we saw in America. And so I just want to make sure you hear me denounce slavery in any form, really, um, especially the type of slavery that America is guilty of and is a stain on our country, our nation, and our our past is completely unbiblical and there's no justification anywhere in scripture and anyone who tries to justify American antebellum slavery just does not know scripture, understand scripture, or is completely using scripture out of context. Um, and so, um, so make sure you study that. I encourage you. It's, it's a wonderful study. Um, again, slavery wasn't a wonderful thing to be in. I'm not trying to say that. Uh, but slavery was an option that people could actually enter into on their own to provide for their families. Um, so, uh, so study that so that you might see. Until we have a chance to maybe go a little deeper on that topic, as we look at this in relationships that Paul's telling us how we're to live in relationship with one another, then I think it's most closely related for us to see this as how does an employee relate to their employer and how does an employer relate to their employee and so um, here's what the apostle paul says 
Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. So what, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, whomever it is that you've been called to work for, maybe today, whoever it is you work for, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's uh, the owner of a company, that you've been called to uh, to, to do what it is your job requires. So whatever it is your, your boss or employee has told you that you're to do, this is your job, then you are to do that to the very best of your ability, not as if though you're only doing it to your boss or to, your, um, to your, the company you work for, but as though you're doing it to Christ. Now we know that Scripture teaches us that in all things we do it to the very best of our ability as though we're doing it to Christ. Paul reiterates that here in Ephesians and says, even in your work, right? So even slaves, as you relate to your masters, employees, as you relate to your employers, do whatever it is that your boss has commanded you to do, told you to do, not only because he told you to do it, but do it as though you're doing it for Christ. Then it says this, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. And so, uh, man, I, I can remember uh, just several jobs I had um, and several jobs you've had. You can remember, maybe you were that person, and I'm sure some of the jobs I was, I was the person about to describe, uh, where you know someone does the minimum they have to do to not get in trouble. So whatever the quota may be and whatever they're doing or uh, whatever percentage uh, they need to produce, um, they do just enough to get by, just enough not to, to get um, fired or reprimanded. And that's what Paul tells us is that's not the way we ought to work. Uh, that when we work, Whatever it is God's called us to do, we are to work to the maximum ability possible. We are to produce the best product and the best results we possibly can. Not as though we're only doing it for our employee, but again, as though we're doing it um, from a sincere heart because this is God's will for us. This is God's desire for us. And so we work to the very best of our ability because in doing so, it brings glory to God, to the one we serve, to the one whom we belong. And so people ought to look at the way we work and say, man, they work all the time. Even when nobody's looking, they're working. And people ought to see that in us as a quality trait of a Christian. As a believer, we are to... We, we are to be honest in the way we work. And, and so if we're being paid for eight hours of work, we ought to do eight hours of work um, and do it to the very best of our ability, um, doing it with a sincere heart so that it brings glory and it brings honor to God. Uh, he goes on, verse 7 says, Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord, and not to people. And so over and over we see this theme when it comes to how employees should relate to employers, Paul's words, how slaves ought to relate to masters. And what we find over and over is this repeated phrase of do this as though you're doing it to the Lord, not just to man. Um, so uh, when you go to work, do work to the very best of your ability as though you're working for the Lord, not for your employer. 
Uh, when you go to work, do it with a sincere heart, even when nobody's looking, as though you're doing it to the Lord. When you go to work, go to work with a good attitude, um, not complaining, but going to work, doing the very best you can, having a good attitude, as though you're working for the Lord, as though Jesus Christ is your Lord, uh, as though Jesus Christ is your master, as though Jesus Christ is your employee, uh, employer. Uh, we do the very best we can. Uh, because it brings glory and honor to his name, because we are, in fact, representing him as his followers and as sons and daughters of uh, the utmost and highest God. Serve with a good attitude. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good each one does, whether it be slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. So this is, some, this is not the motivation uh, for why we do what's right. It's not the motivation for why we work as hard as we can. But it's God still saying, listen, if you approach everything that you do as though you're doing it for me, you do it with a sincere heart, you do it with a good attitude, you do it to the very best of your ability, then know this, you'll be rewarded for that. You may not be rewarded publicly, right? Because you work even when no one's watching. You still do your job. You still work to the best of your ability, Um but God sees. And so even when your employer's not looking, even when, when your master's not looking, uh, God's looking upon you, and we ought to do everything we can as though we're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. How, how do we do that? The very best of our ability, with a sincere heart, when no one else is looking, with a good attitude. Um, man, um, it's hard to find those type of workers. It's hard to be that type of worker. I, I'm not presupposing, I'm not suggesting that, that uh, oh, I, I work this way. No, I find myself at times complaining. Um, I hear other people at times complaining about their work. Um, not, not, not no one works for me, so I'm not talking about any employees. I have, I don't have any employees. Um, but what we ought to do is, if you have a job, you one, you ought to be thankful that God's blessed you with a job. Um, number two, you ought to do that job to the very best of your ability. Uh, number three, you ought to be sincere in your work. And so you're not just going in so people see you working, but you're going in with a heart that says, this is my job, this is what God's blessed me with, this is what God's called me to do, and so I will work to the very best of my ability, with a sincere heart. Not to be seen, not to be glorified, but so others might glorify God. I'm to do this with a good attitude, and I'm to do it without complaining. Uh, I, just, I just submit to you that work would be a lot different if we all could approach work in this manner. All of a sudden, the jobs that we, um, we have that we really don't like or we find ourselves in circumstances, we wish we were in a different job, we wish we had a different boss, pray about those things. God may be willing to move you. God may open a door for you, but until he does, then you approach that job as if the God is my boss. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one I'm working for, and so I'm going to work to the best of my ability. I'm going to be sincere in what I do. I'm not going to cheat my employer out of a single minute of the time that I'm working. I'm going to be about the business uh, of whatever it is I've been called to do because how I work will reflect the God that I say I serve. Um, 
verse 8 again, uh, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. So know this. Uh, when you're not noticed on your job, when you're working to the best of your ability and you're not getting promotions, when you're doing everything you can to do what's right, and it seems as if you're overlooked, know this, God sees you. God sees the work you're doing. God sees the sincerity with which you're doing the work. God sees your willingness to, to do it with a sincere heart, without complaining, to the very best of your ability, uh, even when nobody's looking, and God will reward you for that. So even when you don't feel like your company rewards you, even when you feel like that person you work for, your boss doesn't appreciate you, know this, God does, God sees, and God will reward you. Uh, verse 9 is our last verse for tonight. Verse 9 says, This is instruction to the employer. Uh, here Paul says to master, so slave and master. Again, I really encourage you to, to read and, and look this up, the difference between um, slavery in the Bible and American antebellum slavery or slavery in, in Europe during the same time period. Um, I just think it's important for us to have some type of perspective on this because if we're not careful, we read Paul as saying that slaves in American slavery should uh, wake up every day with a good attitude, sincere heart as though they're working for the Lord. That's not what Paul's saying because that type of slavery is unbiblical. That, that type of slavery treats people as property of other people when Scripture says people belong to God. We're made in His image. And so uh, American antebellum slavery um, is not biblical in any way, shape, or form. And what Paul is talking about is the, the type of slavery that people were dealing with in the first and the second century. I'm not saying that it was uh, not tough. I'm not saying that it was pleasant. I'm just saying it was different. And so I encourage you to look at that. Verse 9, And masters treat your slaves the same way, one without threatening them. So even though someone um, owed you work, okay, uh, whether they entered into that uh, by some agreement, uh, because they could not be kidnapped and, and brought into slavery. They, they could not be sold to you as slaves. And so this had to be entered into upon some type of agreement, some type of work agreement. And so when you had someone that was brought in to work for you, what Paul says is uh, treat your slaves the same way. Treat those who work for you the same way without threatening them. Because know that both their master and yours is in heaven. And so even if you are privileged, if you were privileged, even if you own a company today, uh, even if you have tons of money and tons of respect in the business world and a uh, business acumen that, uh, uh, that would put you on Forbes uh, magazine, uh, then you are to treat those who work for you with dignity and with respect. You don't threaten those who work for you. You treat them with respect and dignity. You treat them as people who are created in the image of God. Uh, why do you do that? You do that because it's what God has commanded us to do. Um, and then Paul goes further to say, listen, because we really have the same master. And so you may be my boss. I may work for you. But both of us really have the same master. 
And so he doesn't show favoritism. And so God doesn't look down upon someone who uh, owns a company and has 2,000 employees and sees them more uh, favorable or in a more uh, positive light than he does the, the lowly worker. Uh, God sees both the lowly worker and the owner of a company, in fact, um, uh, or, or just a boss man. He sees us all the same. We all belong to him. We're all created in his image. And so it's even neat that even in, in Ephesians, where Paul doesn't delve real deep into the slavery uh, issue in biblical times, it's very clear that this is a lot different. Paul says you don't even threaten uh, a worker. You don't, you don't threaten someone that uh, their family will have nothing to eat or they won't have a job. Uh, you don't do that because you and your workers are both created by God in the image of God. You both have the same master in heaven, and he doesn't have any favoritism. So we need to be careful how we treat one another and treat one another the way God does, and that is without any favoritism. Uh, so I want to encourage you tonight. Um, one, um, if you've never read, studied, or thought about uh, slavery in the Bible, uh, then I want to encourage you to, um, to to read, to study that a little more so that you see that especially in America and, um, well, any, anywhere in the world, um, the world um, through... Um, colonization and, and the colonial times and antebellum times, um, slavery um, impacted the whole world. But what I want you to understand is that slavery in Scripture um, is not like that slavery. Uh, again, it's, it's, not, it's not pleasant that somebody has to enter into an agreement to work for someone for seven years to take care of his family. Uh, so I'm not suggesting that slavery in Scripture was um, was pleasant for the slave. Uh, but what I am suggesting is it's a lot different than the slavery we've uh, been taught, seen in movies, uh, read in history books, um, heard testimonies about generations later about how it impacted generations. Um, it's just not the same. And so I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I'm just trying to encourage you uh, to really study it. What you find is that, uh, especially uh, in the writing of Paul and others and how we relate to one another and how a slave and a master relate to one another, uh, is really in uh, present day times in the culture we live in today, much more akin to a, um, an employer and an employee than it is American antebellum slavery. So I just want to encourage you that the Bible's not uh, telling slaves of antebellum slavery will just be happy with where you're at. In fact, the Bible does not condone that whatsoever. Every aspect of American antebellum slavery uh, is unbiblical um, and has no biblical basis. Um, so, so study that. I don't encourage you to do that so that you can see the difference and it gives context to passages uh, like Paul in Ephesians 6 when he talks about this relationship between uh, really employer and, and employee. Um, again, I'm not trying to downplay slavery in any way, shape, or form and uh, saying that it was a really pleasant thing. Uh, but what I am suggesting is that you do, do a little study and check it out um, so that you can have the context and the background to read Scripture with. Uh, and there were people who um, mistreated 
um, um, slaves in scriptural time. And I think that's pretty evident. And so what scripture does is lays a groundwork for those who, um, who find themselves uh, working for someone else in this slave-master relationship in scripture. And what Christianity does, going all the way back to the Jewish tradition, the Old Testament, is to lay some ground rules to say, you can't kidnap someone and make them your slave. You can't sell someone like their property. You can't abuse someone who works for you. Um, if a slave leaves your uh, place uh, of employment, then he does not have to be brought back because he does not belong to you. And, and so I think what, what the Bible does is lay some groundwork to make sure um, that American antebellum slavery never took place uh, and yet, what a stain it is on um, on our culture, our country, uh, and the world that we allowed slavery to take the form that it did. And not only that, but that um, in many cases the Bible was used to condone slavery in America. And, and that is, um, there's no place for that. There's no excuse for that. Um, it, it was just flat out wrong. And so, um, so I pray that uh, Ephesians, as we're looking at Paul, describe what relationships should look like and, uh, and the various types of relationships that we deal with each and every day, uh, that practically we would gain some insight as to how we can best um, honor, serve, glorify God in those relationships we find ourselves in daily. And so uh, parents and children, uh, what an honor it is to be a parent. Honor your, your father and mother, um, children. Um, it is a commandment God has, has given a promise with. Uh, it is the right thing to do. Uh, parents, love your children. Love your children when you discipline them. Love your children while you're instructing them. Um, be patient, long-suffering, bearing one another with your children um, so that, uh, that even as you correct them and discipline them, they know that it's done in love and it brings encouragement and hope to them. Uh, and then, um, practically speaking from the, the last, uh, section verses five through nine of the passage tonight. Um, when you go to work tomorrow, or if you're off for Memorial Day, I pray that everyone has a great, wonderful Memorial Day. And we're so thankful for those who gave their life on the battlefield, that we can have the freedoms we have today. Um, but when you go back to work, um, begin to approach, pray about this. God, help me um, to go into my place of employment, working as though I'm working for you, uh, with a sincere heart, working to the best of my ability, um, without complaining, with a good attitude. And uh, if you do that, what you'll find is that even you begin to enjoy um, your job better than you, you did beforehand. So pray God bless you. Thank you so much for joining tonight. We're getting close. Uh, probably this coming Wednesday we'll be able to finish uh, the book of Ephesians as we talk about the uh, armor of God and spiritual warfare. Uh, so looking forward to that. But I pray God bless you between now and then. And again, pray that you have a great uh, and wonderful um, Memorial Day. God bless. We'll see you soon.